has a ministry called the International Fellowship of Evangelists. Uh, basically gathering evangelists together in fellowship groups um, to encourage and strengthen the work of evangelism. So Hal, I'm going to turn it over to you. Thank you, Jonathan. Uh, let me pray. God, we just pray for all the folk who uh, invaded our uh, holy space. And we thank you that the eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the good and the evil. And that the eyes of the Lord go to and fro across the face of the earth in search of him whose heart is right and completely his. So, God, we acknowledge the spiritual warfare and we say uh, you are the captain of heaven's host. And uh, we pray, God, you would invade the lives, go to war against those spirits that control the lost people. We want to see people saved. So we pray for them in your name, Jesus. Amen. Help me talk also, God. Thank you, Jonathan. Uh, I'm impressed with the growth of 10 days. Uh, I think I counted almost 100 people on that phone call. Uh, seems like the snowball is getting larger. Praise the Lord. I want to teach today about uh, the final day. Uh, I've got some uh, screens that I'm going to throw up in just a moment. And you'll be able to follow along uh, in the text as well as what I'm saying. But there's some interesting facts about Judgment Day. Uh, judgment Day is the biggest single item in the Bible. It's mentioned three times more often than any other topic in the Bible. And to put a worldly proverb on it, uh, they say all roads lead to Rome. Uh, in that day, it was kind of true, but all roads lead to Judgment Day. That is absolutely true for every human being that has ever taken a breath on the planet. Uh, each of us will give an account of himself to God. And uh, God then will uh, separate sheep from goats, and he'll separate the saved from unsaved, and then he'll do a special judgment for those who are his, for those who've had faith in him and walked with him in a, in a measure, at least, uh, the saved, uh, he will hand out rewards to people. And I found that uh, in the Bible, there's a lot of motivations uh, to keep us on the straight and narrow. You know, once you've entered by the small gate, we're to walk on the straight and narrow, and one text calls it difficult passage uh, and find life. So one of those big motivations is the motivation that Jesus is going to return and give out his rewards. It's mentioned over 30 times in the New Testament, which most people don't believe me when I say that, but I actually have all the verses and I'll show you in just a minute. Over 30 times in just the New Testament, not counting the old, he says things like, behold, I'm coming quickly, and my rewards are with me to give to every man according to his deeds. And uh, because, as Jonathan mentioned, I spent a lot of time at the International House of Prayer in Kansas City under Mike Bickle. And Mike was always trying to encourage the troops because keeping a 24-hour prayer room going is a mammoth task. So he would say to uh, us, 
he'd say, God is watching, and every movement of the human heart toward God has attached to it a reward of the Lord. So uh, to break it down further, I believe Scripture says uh, every thought, every word, every deed, every motive, and every attitude that is Godward, that is for the glory of God, that is of faith and hope and love, every one of those things is going to culminate in judgment day analyzing it. Uh, and God, who's the only being capable of taking all the thousands and thousands of components that make up our life, and what an equation that would be if you were a mathematician, then he's going to render to us exactly what we deserve. Now, some people who don't look very deep theologically sometimes get confused and say things like, well, I thought we were saved by grace. Absolutely. You know, Ephesians and other texts make that clear. By grace, unmerited favor, uh, we're saved by faith. But uh, if our faith is disingenuous, uh, there is no reward for that faith. And when we actually move and live and have our being moment by moment, minute by minute in God, God is not so unrighteous as to forget our labor in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. So God is not a forgetful being. In fact, scriptures reveal the only thing he forgets is the sins that we have confessed to him. He remembers them no more. But every little thing we do, and of course, you know the text, even a cup of cold water given to someone in the name of a disciple, you will not lose your reward. So it, it's been a huge motivation for me. I've been in ministry for uh, 47 years. I um, actually 40, almost 44 years. A little bit about myself. I didn't do this at the beginning. I should have. Uh, I was a pastor in the Kansas City area for 23 years. I pastored a small, medium, and a large church. And I have been around that bush several times. Then in 2001, God switched me uh, in really a season of frustration to what is my primary role and what fits my gift mix better. And that's the role of an evangelist. So almost 20 years I've been an evangelist. Uh, I have uh, a wife, we've been married 47 years, and I have five adult kids, and they've given us 12 grandchildren. And as Jonathan said, I live in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I do head up what's called the International Evangelist Fellowship. And Jonathan, if you would type that into the chat, in case anybody wants to get a hold of me, uh, put my phone number and my email. I'll be glad to get back with anybody that has interest in something I'm saying. Or especially if any of the viewers are evangelists, I just love uh, to meet new evangelists. And God bless the intercessors as well. Now, let me go to my teaching and let me do a share, which should work. There you go. Hopefully that's clear to everyone. I've got two pieces to this teaching today. Here's the first part, the judgment seat of Christ for all believers. 
That's where you and I will receive eternal rewards or suffer eternal loss. And the loss is defined as you will not get a reward for living in sin. If you live in sin for, you know, two days, then on judgment day, when those two days are analyzed, uh, there'll be no rewards. And so you and I will have actually lost what could have been eternal rewards. I think that's what the term means when it says eternal rewards and loss. And that's mentioned uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Now, let's look at Jesus first before we look at our own lives. Let me make this just a little bit smaller so that it's more visible. Uh, I believe that Jesus Christ uh, was a man 100%, as well as God 100%. And he was born under a star. We know the story. And then that diagonal straight line is his life of perfect obedience, because he was without sin. And some of the text in the Bible that reveal that is in John 8. Jesus said, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. What a wonderful truth. God help us do that. John 14. So the world may know I love the Father. I do exactly as he has commanded me. Such a wonderful attitude in Jesus. And we're to have this attitude in ourselves. Matthew 26 in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, not my will, but yours be done, even if it kills me, and it did. And like Job, he said, uh, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. And so when we say, Jesus, I'm yours, for some people, it is unto death. And then Hebrews 1, uh, it says about Jesus, <clears throat> because he loved righteousness and hated iniquity, God anointed him with the oil of gladness above his fellows. And I think that verse is ultimately fulfilled when Jesus died, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He was given a name above every name. He was anointed with ultimate, infinite uh, oil of gladness. Uh, all of heaven reverberates with the judgment that was placed on Jesus saying he is worthy to receive blessing and honor and glory and power and might and dominion forever and ever. Jesus the man now sits on God's throne. And of course he was restored to the glory he had with the father before he came to earth, but he qualified for that as a sinless man. We know that uh, Jesus identified with us in every aspect, even being born inside the womb of the Virgin Mary and spending nine months in vitro. I mean, it's just amazing what the extent to which God went to identify with us and flip the coin over. Uh, he, even, he even had a judgment day and he was given a name above every name, which is a um, like a lighthouse for us. That means that we are going to have, hopefully, a very glorious judgment day. Now, let's talk about you and me. Uh, that little cross there is the day you got saved. You had a conversion day. And then this jiggy-jaggy line is your life of obedience or disobedience. This life above the jiggy line uh, is uh, your life of you just didn't obey God. You didn't do what he told you to do. You didn't do it at the timing he told you to do it. You didn't do how he told you to do it. 
Uh, and so there's a gap between uh, the infinitely perfect life of Jesus and your and my semi-righteous life. But, praise the Lord, the grace of God worked in our lives. The grace was not always in vain. And we did obey God much of the time in the face of temptation. And God is keeping track of all of that, everything. And when we confess our sins, God forgives us our disobedience, but he keeps track of our righteous deeds. He's not so unrighteous as to forget. And then one day, just like Jesus died and had a judgment day, you're going to die. Uh, there's only two men I know in the Bible that have escaped the day of their death, and that's Enoch and Elijah. And uh, we'll see if they come back and actually have a day of death or not. Some people say the two witnesses are those two guys. Anyway, you're going to have a day when you die, and then you're going to have a judgment day. Uh, each of us will give an, give an account of our life to God. And it's, it's one good reason why we should never be judgmental, because we can't even analyze all the factors that come into accurate judgment of us. How in the world could we analyze all the factors that make up the judgment of someone else? And judgmentalism is a very serious sin, according to Romans 1 and 2. But here's a thought. Uh, However you and I have lived, God's going to meet out to us a weight of glory. And then uh, it would be smart if, according to 2 Corinthians 4, we just obeyed more. And so our final judgment would be more with a greater weight of glory. There you go. Now, at the bottom of the page, let me see if I can raise this up a little bit more. No, it won't go. I have to shrink it. That's no good. Here's some verses between conversion day and judgment day, which is, you know, everything in our life. It says, if you're wise, you're wise for yourself. If you scoff at this truth, then you alone will bear it. Uh, we talk about human regrets and earthly regrets. There's going to be a day when there'll be heavenly regrets. In fact, I'm going to read you a story of a prophetess lady who God took to heaven, and she actually met a man who had a regret regarding one of the days he lived on earth. And God redeems it, but it's just as much a reality there as it is here. For example, you know, on that day, it'll be a great and a terrible day. It'll be great for a lot of people, but it will be less great, even terrible. And, and there'll be more tears cried at the judgment seat of Christ than I think the church has ever cried before. Because in that stark, brilliant light of truth, we will see how we actually live when the grace of God was sufficient to have lived differently. And then, of course, the Bible says, then he will wipe away every tear. And uh, we'll have our status and our position and our rewards given to us by God. And there'll be no jealousy. There'll be no contention. There'll be no arguing like the disciples of who is the greatest. We will say God is just, God is righteous, and his judgments are true. But we're preparing right now uh, how many rewards we will get. And uh, we're trying to avoid loss on that day. Then Proverbs 13 says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place watching the good and the evil. 
Proverbs 5 says, the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all of his paths. I like 1 Corinthians 7. You can't quite see it there. It says, what matters in life is the keeping of the commandments of God. We think, you know, am I pretty? Am I rich? Am I comfortable? Am I healthy? <laughs> Those are secondary questions. Paul said it right. What matters in life is keeping the commandments of God because he was looking to the judgment day and uh, how we may please the Lord. You know, Paul said in Ephesians, trying to learn what's pleasing to the Lord. And in the same chapter in 1 Corinthians 7, he says, so that you and I would have undistracted devotion to the Lord. Now, God tells each of us to do things uh, different than the other person. I'm an evangelist and I don't have the same expectation on other church members that I believe God has on me in the realm of evangelism. Uh, and God doesn't have the same expectations on me that he may have on you because you're called to the office of intercessor. And some people are called, you know, to build hospitals. Some people are called to have eight or nine children. And their whole life is consumed with caring for those kids. So God assigns different tasks to different people. And we're going to be judged not based on the success we have in the world's eyes. God is going to judge us based upon what he's told us to do, and did we do it? Did we maintain as much as possible a Christ-like spirit in doing it? So this is a big day coming up. And if you'll let this truth sink in, instead of scoff at it, uh, this is really one of the major truths in the whole Bible. As I said, it's the number one topic. It will motivate you uh, to live righteously. And those, uh, those hackers that got in on our prayer time, you know, it, if they don't repent, they're going to pay for that thing they did, disrupting the holy activity of prayer. And just like in heaven, there is levels of uh, status. Jesus said, uh, there will be the greatest and there will be the least in heaven. You know, praise God, they made it to heaven. But some people will only be saved, get as by fire, and all their rewards will be burned up, except they did barely make it to heaven. Then there'll be others who will have great rewards, and they'll actually be closer to Jesus. There's a prophet guy named Bob Jones who went to heaven, and he went to the throne room. When he got back, they asked him, what did you see? He said, well, I was near the throne room, and uh, who was there? It was the humble and the servants that were the closest to Jesus in eternity. And you go back to your Bible and you think, well, that's exactly what the Bible says. Uh, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and in due season, he will exalt you. The premier virtue of Jesus, I believe, was humility. He humbled himself, taking on himself the form of a man, and he became a man even unto death on the cross. And so then the other side was a servant. If you want to be great, Jesus said, you've got to be a servant. If you want to be the greatest. You've got to be a servant of everyone. So what Bob Jones saw in that vision was very biblical. Humble servants are closest to Jesus. They're some of the greatest in heaven. In hell, it's the same thing, only in reverse. Uh, Judas went to the lowest parts of hell. And there's people in hell who have lesser punishments and people in hell who have greater punishments. This whole thing about the books being balanced, uh, it's really going to happen. So it gives you peace 
when there's injustice down here and there's political chicanery and the justice system doesn't actually uh, come out right, say, well, one day God's going to be the judge and he's going to make every right thing rewarded and every wrong thing punished. And of course, Christ is the cross. Christ and the cross is the great dividing line between those two. Now, let me show you one more thing. Then I would be open to questions and answers. I'd be open to maybe a little dialogue about this topic. We've got about a half hour left. Let me show you one more screen. I said to you that uh, there's a whole lot of verses in the Bible. Let's just go down some of these verses. And we're not going to read them all. But uh, this is we need to develop our spiritual gifts and, you know, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts and uh, reward motivation is, it's not a gift so much as it is an understanding. First verse says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he's done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Now, this is a real good evangelist verse. Uh, because I know judgment seat of Christ day is coming in which everyone, including myself, is going to be uh, recompensed exactly according to what I've done. Apostle Paul says that produces a fear of the Lord in me. Uh, the fear of the Lord is real simply and clearly described in another verse, Proverbs 8, 13. It says the fear of the Lord is to hate evil pride, arrogance, and the evil way. So the fear of the Lord is to hate the way God hates. We hate, you know, the wrong things. But if I hate evil, then I'll not be judged for doing evil. That is the fear of the Lord. And then if I fear God, I do the right thing. And instead of being judged and punished, I'm rewarded. The fear of the Lord works both ways. It keeps us from doing the wrong thing, and it encourages us to do the right thing because there's a judgment seat of Christ. Reading on a little further, I hope your, stump, your spiritual stomach's big enough for all these Bible verses. Uh, Matthew 5, Jesus said, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Re he commands us, rejoice, be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. So there's lesser rewards and there's greater rewards. And if you so live for Christ uh, and suffer persecution for it, your reward in heaven is great. I'm looking at the yellow highlighted verses here. Matthew 6, it says, give to the poor. And when you pray and whenever you fast, your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Uh, one time the Holy Spirit kind of chided me and said, Hallie, it doesn't matter whether anybody else knows the good deed you just did. He reminded me we're supposed to do good deeds uh, and not let our left hand know what our right hand's doing. And the rationale behind that is God sees and God will reward you. I think in a down payment sort of way here, but come judgment day, you are going to get rewards totally out of proportion with what you did on earth. I'm going to tell you a quick story. 
when I was a young Christian living in Columbia, Missouri, <clears throat> we would have uh, people come out to our home and spend an hour or two worshiping the Lord. And uh, I wish I could illustrate this better. I'm not on a platform, but one of my buddies, a guy named Bob, looked down at the throw rug on our hardwood floor. And no one saw him but me. And it was not laying flat. So Bob, just during the midst of everybody walking around, praising the Lord, giving glory to the Lamb, he reached down and turned over the corner of that throw rug and laid it flat on the rug. There was a, a girl in the uh, prayer meeting who didn't see him do that. But the Spirit of God hit her. And she went over to Bob and said, Oh, my son, surely my eyes have seen this kind deed you did, and it shall not go unrewarded. Great shall be your reward in heaven. <laughs> so I saw the whole thing. I had a 50-yard line seat, and I saw Bob do it. I saw this girl get hit by the Holy Ghost and come over and prophesy. Bob couldn't figure it out. He said, all I did was turn over the corner of that throw rug. And it, it made a permanent impression on me. We have no idea the size and the depth of the, of the reward of the Lord for everything we do that's born in kindness and love and faith. Uh, so I'm excited about that. If, God, if no one else sees what you do, it doesn't matter. God sees. One more verse or two. Uh, Matthew 10, whoever in the name of a disciple gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, he shall not lose his reward. So you can uh, spend the day, <laughs> if you got faith, uh, writing down prayer requests, have a prayer journal. You can write down people I witnessed to today and I gave out the gospel. And you can take those kind of activities and say, I wonder what God's going to give to me. And that's not mercenary spirit. That is faith. Jesus Christ operated by a spirit of faith and knowing he was going to be rewarded. He said, God, restore to me the glory I had with you before time began. And it says he went to the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was set before him. And Moses, the patriarch, he said, uh, it was said about him, he uh, uh, didn't count the riches of Egypt worthy of the reproach of Christ because he was, get this, looking to the reward. I mean, you got the, the main patriarch in the Old Testament, and you got Jesus, the Son of Man, in the New Testament. Both of them were moved and motivated and kept on their course because they knew God would reward them. Okay, one more here, let's see, uh, Matthew 29, no, that's not true, Matthew 19, Jesus said, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and we talk about having a big portfolio here, and, and our 401k, and our stock account, and our bank account, and, you know, it's nice, if you do well for yourself, men will praise you, but that is nothing compared to the treasure you and I will have in heaven, I mean, the streets are made of gold there. It's no big deal, right? A couple more. Uh, Luke 10. God is the one who said, the laborer, whether you labor in prayer, whether you labor in compassion ministry, whether you labor in evangelism, 
whether you labor as an administrator or a leader or in politics, whatever, the laborer is worthy of his wages. You have not gotten full wages down here. This verse is not fulfilled on earth, but it is fulfilled on that day when God passes out his rewards. John 4, already, he who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for life eternal. Uh, one more. Like I said, there's 30 of these verses just in the New Testament as if God is trying to make a point. He is trying to make a point. Romans 2, God will render to each person according to his deeds. For those who by perseverance and doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, even eternal life. So let me stop there. Uh, what I would like to do at this point, and I think probably there may not be time. Uh, <clears throat> I have a dear friend who, um, like Bob Jones, the prophet, uh, she is a prophetess. And she's been to both heaven and to hell. She's been to heaven numerous times, but she's only been to hell once. And she does not want to go back to hell at all. She wrote a book called The Hell Conspiracy. Uh, her name's Lori Ditto. And uh, she was on Sid Roth's program, It's Supernatural. And that video has gotten over 2 million views on YouTube. And it's uh, one of Sid Roth's top video interviews. Well, she's writing a new book now on heaven. And uh, last night I was helping her just a little bit edit some of her texts so it would sound clearer. And there's a chapter called The Parade. And I've got it here in front of me, and I, I'm out of time, so I'm not going to read it, except I'll just tell you the highlights. And by the way, the, the name of this book is yet to be decided. Hey, but Al, in heaven... Al, you've got time. You've got time. I mean, you've got 15 minutes or, or even a little more. So just feel free to, to use the, the full time. Aren't, aren't you a kind host? <laughs> let, me, uh, let me turn on a light so I can read a little bit better here. Nice to uh, run with a crowd that doesn't believe signs and wonders, miracles, visitations have passed away. So this is one of those. Here we go. Just kind of lay back in bed and pull the sheets up around your neck and listen to this story. Okay. When I arrived in heaven, I heard loud cheers. I was at a parade. It was so exciting. Suddenly people standing around me began hugging me. They were so glad I was there. I heard them say to others, she has never seen the parade. Because everyone in heaven is so nice, the crowd began parting so I could get right up to the front. As I moved closer to the street to see the parade, I looked down and saw the rocks were moving me even like a conveyor belt. I was in awe. Everyone was welcoming me and there was such a celebratory atmosphere. The parade, get this, the parade was celebrating the day the Lord had made. It was a celebration of a particular day that was lived on earth before I was born. Since I do not know specifically the name or the date, let's just say the parade was in honor of May the 1st, 1964. One of the things that I noticed were the spectacularly shiny spinning drops like confetti falling from the sky. They were amazing liquid love. 
when they'd hit a person, like a drop of rainwater, they would quickly be absorbed, causing the light. The droplets that hit the ground would scurry over to the closest person and be absorbed through their feet, kind of like mercury kind of runs on a surface. I watched the drops and was mesmerized by them. The person on my right hugged me and said, please look up, watch the parade too. <laughs> I was so glad that they were helping me or I would only have been able to tell of the wondrous droplets. For me, it was like I was a child going to see a three ring circus. There was just no way to take it all in. On my left was a man who was filled with regret. I found this very strange as everyone else around me was filled with joy. I had never felt regret in heaven before. It was as if this regret was allowed somehow. We'll come back to this guy. In the parade, there were multitudes of people marching. The knowledge was granted to me regarding why these people were so, why these people were being highlighted in the parade. These were the ones who had been alive on May the 1st, 1964, and had served the Lord in some way. He was honoring what they had done for him, either large or small. He was giving this extravagant parade for them. Uh, in the parade, there was a shy, tall man walking. I could tell that he was the quiet type. Many people were shouting out for him and clapping. On this particular day in history, this man had stopped to help someone change a tire. It was his love for Jesus that had compelled him to help. At the parade, the Lord honored this man and shared with everyone what he'd done out of the goodness of his heart and love for Christ. Also, part of the procession was a short, round woman who had a very different personality. She was exceptionally lively and quite chatty and extremely upbeat. She was waving, she was waving at those of us who were along the side of the parade. Many were also shouting and clapping for her. She had served a family who had just had a new baby, but they lost that baby through miscarriage. She baked and delivered a fancy cake. She spent many hours making this cake extra special. And the family that had miscarried their baby, she wanted to help make this celebration exceptional. The parade was filled with people who had done amazing things for Jesus, but there was another man who really stood out to me in the parade. I knew these things by the Holy Spirit, as did everyone standing alongside the parade. This man had died on that day because he would not deny Jesus. The crowd, I start crying. The crowd went wild in their clapping and shouting for this man. He walked with tears running down his face. A tender man who wore his heart on his sleeve. He was very big and appeared very strong, but he had not used his physical strength against the Lord's enemies, but had shared the gospel so that they might be saved, and he was martyred. Each of these ones highlighted to me from something, I'm not, each one of these was highlighted to me from something as small as giving a cup of cold water to laying down their life. They were all emphasized, and this was a monumental parade for them. Now, let me go back to this one guy. <clears throat> Uh, 
Well, this is too much. <laughs> Got about four more minutes here. As I looked, I saw a magnificent horse. There was some distance between the people and him, which only made him more impressive. He was absolutely stunning and taller than any horse I'd ever seen. On this day, he has extra. He was extra alert and proud. He had so much personality. Through the gift of knowledge, I could understand him perfectly. He was strutting his stuff, all decked out in brilliant materials, skipping while performing a complicated dance. His mane was shimmering with all the droplets that had fallen on him. He wore a material that touched the ground and caused a ripple effect of shock waves to go out from him. Whenever they touched anything in the mind, will, emotion, or physical realms, there was healing. I looked closely at the hem of the rider's cloak. It was covered with living leaves. And she says some more about that. She says, I was transfixed watching the effects of uh, this horse. And the regretful man on my left suddenly joined the parade. I felt his regret turn to joy. You see, the man had lived that day, May the 1st, 1964, but he not done anything for God. Yet God now allowed him to march in the parade. He had been alive and the Lord had been working mightily in him so that eventually the man had come to love and serve Jesus. Because of this, he was able to join the parade once the horse passed. His walking in the parade declared God's mighty ability to win a heart and complete the good work he'd begun. Man walked very proudly as did the others who were behind the horse. Uh, this goes on and on and uh, she saw Jesus and uh, all of those uh, beautiful droplets of uh, delight were actually emanating from the Lord Jesus. And uh, of course that brilliant, magnificent horse was the horse that Jesus Christ himself rode on. So I wanna encourage you when you get a chance, when the book comes out, uh, it's by an author named Lori Ditto, which is a personal friend of mine. We worked together for 10 years. Um, stories about her visits to heaven. Heaven is fantastic. And because of the Bible, it's not unbelievable, it's believable. So let me pray. If anybody has a question or whatever, we'd be glad to dialogue about that. Heavenly Father, thank you that you're the Father who lives in heaven. And you're going to invite us through Christ your Son to live with you forever. God, we just want to live so as to have great rewards in heaven. But we want to please you uh, with everything involving our thoughts and our words, and our deeds, and our motives, and our attitudes. God, we ask God for great grace to fall upon us. Thank you for choosing us. Lord, you said, uh, you did not choose me, but I chose you, and ordained you to go and bear fruit. So God, we want to present to you on that final day, when you judge uh, the hearts and the minds of men, we want to present bushel after bushel of spiritual fruit to you. God, we want to be that tree that has love and joy and peace, patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. We want to be branches that are laden with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And God, when you say to do something, we don't want to be the son who says yes, but does not go to the vineyard. God, we want to go uh, wherever you say go and say whatever you want to have us to say. So help God. Uh, we look forward to that day 
because of the grace of God in Jesus' name.